Bibles, and let's make this declaration of faith together. This is my Bible. God's written living word to me. It's how he thinks. It tells me who God says I am and reveals to me what God says I can have. Because it's how he thinks, I choose to believe and act on what I'll read. Therefore, I am transformed. I was a very young man, perhaps still in my teens. Perhaps even before I married Nina. When I was in a service at the formerly called Happy Church, it's known as Orchard Road Christian Center today, and they had a guest speaker. His name was Malcolm Smith. I had never heard Malcolm before. Malcolm has been teaching the Word of God for 60 years. And in that service, I heard the first message, gospel message that I had ever heard on the subject that I'm going to share with you this morning. I'm indebted to Malcolm and his teaching on this subject as I share the thoughts that I felt necessary to bring to you. And we're going to begin in the book of Genesis, so if you'd like to join me there, the second chapter. We're beginning a new series today entitled Entering His Rest. And today we're going to talk about God's rest. We'll begin in Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day, and he made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Notice it says that God rested from all his work. He did this on the seventh day. And because of that, he blessed this day, the seventh day, and said that it is special. We're going to set it aside. When it says that God rested, it means that he refreshed. This is brought out in Exodus chapter 31. God wasn't tired. He looked at all that he had just created and he was refreshed by it. He was delighted by it. He was radiant, the Hebrew says. And this delight, this radiance that he had, this restfulness as he looked at all that he had created, included all of humankind. Not just the present creation and Adam and Eve, but it involved all of humankind. God rested and delighted in every human being. God rested and was radiant 
and refreshed by what he saw in humankind. Every human being. Because you'll remember, Adam and Eve were our parents. Everything is traced back to them. Adam was actually created to rest. Think of it. The beginning of Adam's existence was introduced to them by God as rest. Not work, not labor. God invited Adam into rest. He called him into rest, to rest with his rest. It's how all of creation began, was with rest. And at the very beginning, man is confronted with a God who rests. He's not worried. He's not anxious. He's not concerned. He's not wondering what's going to happen. He rested. Imagine that. Creating the universe, the stars, the galaxies, and all that was. Creating man, Adam, and Eve. And then taking a day off and just saying, you know what? I'm delighted. I'm radiant. I feel so fulfilled and refreshed. And you know what, Adam? I just call you in to that rest. The Hebrew word for rest means his delight. To celebrate the accomplishment of the last six days. In other words, it's done. It's complete. The father didn't have any urge or necessity to continue working. He was satisfied. And he was announcing to all of creation, he said it, it is good. He looked out over everything that he had created, said, you know, it's done. It's complete. It, it, it's perfect. He didn't want to change it. He, didn't, he looked at it. He, he didn't need to alter it. And he announced, it is good. Now, that's not just as you would hear some individuals say, well, you know, I had a good week. <laughs> and they're expressionless. You know, I had a good week. Or that concert was good. Or that, and their face is just... The idea in the Hebrew here is, it is good. God announced it is good with excitement and a radiance in his voice. Nothing to add, nothing to erase. He wasn't exhausted. In fact, rather, he was like the artist who paints, who finishes what he's painting, steps back, looks at it, and knows, recognizes right then, if I add even one more brush stroke to it, it'll be wrong. If I change one thing about it, it wouldn't be right. This. It's perfect. I'm done. I've painted the masterpiece. This is very good. And then he said to Adam, Adam, come into this. And God rested on the seventh day. Now this resting on the seventh day has unique meaning because of the Hebrew idea of seventh day. God is a God of covenant. 
And when he rested, he took a covenant oath that he would rest on this seventh day, swearing to its completeness, swearing that there was nothing more to do, and he had no urge to change anything about it. It was perfect. And the Hebrew word used there to swear with an oath, it is perfect, I am done, is Shiva, and it literally means to seven oneself. Back in the day, if you were to say, I have sevened myself, everybody then in the Hebrew of the Hebrew people would know what you meant. I, I've taken a solemn oath. I've covenanted. There will be no further changes. I've made an oath. Now think of this. When God created you and me, he had already spoken with an oath a seventh oath, a seventh, seventhing himself, I will not make a change. This is perfect. And it involved you and it involved me. And then he said, all right, let's take this day and let's make it holy. Let's honor it. Let's make it unchangeable for the rest of time that we are going to celebrate what I have created and that it is perfect, it's done, and I swear I will never change it. It is perfect, it's wonderful. Imagine that. Imagine that that included you. Imagine that God's original purpose in creating you and me was to bring us before himself in this state of perfection and say, now rest. God saw what Adam would do with this gift. And it was determined by the Trinity before the foundation of the earth that they would shed their blood to correct it. Imagine that. To say that Christ came and died only to forgive our sins fails. Fails miserably, really in the plan and the purpose of God for his creation. The Bible says in both Ephesians and Hebrews, Ephesians 1 and Hebrews chapter 4, that before the foundation of the world, God had already chosen Christ to die, to become the sacrificial lamb. Now that's interesting. Because the word used there for foundation doesn't mean, or for world, doesn't mean foundation of the beginning of the world, the globe, the planet as we know it, but rather from the fall of Adam. Think about it. When Adam fell, it didn't upset God. It didn't cause God to get anxious. God wasn't, oh no, what do we do now? The Trinity had already planned. The Trinity had already gotten together and talked to one another, knowing that Adam would mess up this gift of rest, of being one with God, having daily communication with the Father, that he would blow it, he'd mess it up. And they had already decided together that they would shed their blood 
to correct it. From the foundation, from the time of the fall, it was already taken care of. We, we might say it this way. You were found before you were lost. Look at somebody and say, you know what? I was found before I was lost. See, some, some people see what's happened with the fall and the creation and then the fall as a battle between good and evil, sort of like Star Wars. Dear ones, this is not Star Wars. There's, there's never been a battle. This is not a battle between good and evil. This is God declaring well before evil ever came on the scene. I'm going to shed our blood. We're going to shed our blood to bring Adam back into this perfect rest, to bring humankind back into this perfect rest. God had won before he started. God had already worked out every detail. And see, this is his purpose. When we think of humankind, please don't, don't stick him in all of these little containers where Adam was created and then he fell and then, you know, we've had, you know, Abraham and we've had the patriarchs and they've messed things up and the kings and the prophets and they've messed things up and then, you know, Jesus finally came, you know, got kind of God's plan B to help us out and, of course, to appease God in his anger and his wrath. We've got this thing so messed up with our religious teaching and we don't realize none of that went on God rested and said it is perfect there's nothing else I can add to it he took an oath I'll change nothing about what I've created here and the battle was won before it even started evil had no place in this we when Adam blows it and gives away this precious gift of oneness with the father and rest we will shed our blood to correct it. I want you to think about this rest that Adam was in. When God said it was done, it was finished, it was completed, realize Adam didn't have to coax the flowers to grow. He didn't have to toil for the seed to reproduce. It just did. Imagine that, ladies planting a garden and not having anything, you know, not having to do anything to coax it. It's, they just grow. Imagine everything bearing after its own kind. The seed just, the life is in the seed, we're told. And so everything that God created and put on the planet was just, everything was life, life, life everywhere that surrounded Adam. And get this. The only thing that Adam was told to do, keep in mind, God invited him in, into his rest. He created everything, put Adam and Eve in the middle of it all, and invited them into his rest, swore in his, by an oath, I'll not change anything about it. It's perfect. What was left for Adam to do? What did, what did God tell Adam in, in Genesis? Chapter 2 and 3. Tend it. How many of you would like to have a life like that? Just, just tend it. It'll grow by itself. It'll produce by itself. Life, life, life. Everything works by itself. It's perfect. It's done. It's complete. All I need you to do is just tend it. Just watch over it. My goodness. See, you don't work. You discover, Adam. I don't want you to work. I want you just to discover everything I've made. 
Imagine living in a place called the Garden of Eden where everything works. Just everything is by itself. Everything is cooperating with you. What would a day be like? What would one day be like if everything just cooperated with you? The car, the kids, your job, getting up in the morning, the coffee pot, you know, breakfast, lunch, dinner, your spouse. Huh? Well, I mean, what if everything just cooperated? It just worked. It just was. It was just life. And all you had to do is tend to things. That's what they had. There was no anxiety. Adam just directed traffic. (laughs) Because it was all perfect. It was done. God rested from it and invited Adam into his rest. And then something happened. In Genesis chapter 3, someone comes along and introduces the idea of separation for the first time. Adam had never heard that word. Adam had never even conceived of that. There was no separation from God. There was no word for this in the files. God was Adam's total resource and supply. There was complete peace. Joy was just normal. Everything Adam was experiencing was fresh, full of life, right from the hand of God. Complete, complete rest, no work. Living in the hammock of God's love. In fact, it was all about done, not do. God didn't tell God, God didn't tell Adam to do something. He said, it's done. Come into my rest. So there, the evening and the morning were the first day. That's interesting. I thought it was the morning and evening created a day. Remember the language of Genesis 2? It's the evening and the morning were a day. In our life, it's the morning and then we go into evening and we call that a day. In Genesis, several times over, you can read it on your own, it says that the evening and the morning were the first day. And then it goes on and it says what he created on the second day. It says, and the evening and the morning were the second day. And it repeats that several times. That's because the Hebrew day begins at 6 p.m. For the first hours of the day, you go to sleep. Think of that, for this thing was so full of rest and being done and being one with God that at the beginning of your day, you just rested. You just slept, you just rested. And then, after a few hours, you'd get up and you'd go go to work. You'd work, but you were working from a place of rest. You were resting in God's rest. Even the garden, which is called the Park of Delight, was all prepared for you. It was planted for you. It was handed to Adam, a gift, a grace. And then in chapter 3, something happens. This word separation enters in. Satan said to Eve, you're not complete, you know. You're not complete. 
you're not finished. You're not quite there yet. Imagine that. And for the first time in their existence, Adam and Eve began to experience separation. There was no separation in what God created. Only oneness, only resting in what he had created. And all of a sudden, through a thought, through a seed idea, comes, you're not complete. You know, you need something still. So, in fact, it's interesting that Satan talks about God as though he's not even there. Isn't that what he does with us? He, He talks as though God's not there when he does. Adam, you need a little tweaking. You're, you're not, get this, you're not pleasing. You're not quite there yet. You need a, this is what Satan is telling Adam and Eve. You're not quite there yet. You need a little tweaking. Keep in mind, there was no concept of separation, a difference between them and God, none. So Satan said, you need to become God yourself. If you do this, If you perform like this, then you will become like God. You will complete, you'll be like God if you do this, if you perform these things. And religion was invented. Sin was saying, I'm not satisfied with God's satisfaction. There's something else I need to do. Oh my goodness. I'm not satisfied with God's satisfaction. I'm not satisfied with what God has created. I don't believe that covenant oath he took to seven himself. To stand back from the painting as the artist and say, it needs not another stroke. What I'm hearing now what I'm receiving now is that it's, no, it's not complete. It's not done. I need to become more like God. Wasn't that the promise Satan gave him? God knows that if you do this, if you perform like this, you will become like. How many times has Satan told you that during the day to try to get us to do something to work for our salvation, to work to be more like God? to perform something so that we'll be pleasing to God. Separation. Separation. I need to alter me in order to be a better me. I need to become somehow united with this greater being and so there's something I need to do and in comes death and in comes fear there had been no death no fear no separation they lived in perfection in a garden created to them all all routed out and, and the plants planted for them and the roads were in and all they were to do is just tend it and all of a sudden Satan comes and suggests They're not complete. They can't enter into rest because yet they need to perform. 
I need to start learning how to be a better me. I need to learn how to start being pleasing to God. And so I'm going to change this and I'm going to tweak that and I need to obey these rules and I need to perform this obedience. God says, where'd you get that? Remember what he said when he came walking the next day into the garden to meet and fellowship with them and they were hiding? And God said, Adam, where are you? finally they talked and he said why were you hiding Adam said because we were naked and we were ashamed and God said who told you you were naked see previously they had not known separation everything was complete and perfect they lived in rest who told you you're not complete who told you you need something Who told you there's a religious law or rule that you forgot last week and you need to perform it? Who told you that? Well, the woman that you gave me. (laughs) Remember that? The woman that you gave me. And, And so he turns to Eve and says, really? Who told you? Well, the serpent. The serpent. The serpent introduced the idea, you're not complete. Think about this now. I've just given you the definition of sin. See, growing up religiously, I used to think that sin were the bad things that I did, like drinking. I knew I wasn't supposed to drink. Smoking, I knew I wasn't supposed to smoke. Uh, Running around and fornicating I knew I wasn't supposed to do that see sin sin, when you're separated from God sin becomes all about your performance but in the context of what we're reading here in the Genesis in the beginning sin had nothing to do with their performance it had to do with one thing they believed they were incomplete And needed to add something to what God had created. They believed a lie. Are you believing a lie this morning about yourself? Do you look at the things you do and say, that's why God's not pleased with me. That's why I don't feel close to God. That's, you know, I did that and I've done this and... Uh, I've done that more than once. In fact, I asked God's forgiveness for this one and, and I've done it again and again. And that's why I'm feeling separation, distance between me and God. How often do we do that? And God says, that has nothing to do with it. I took care of this issue long before, from the foundation of the world, before evil ever came into the garden, we had already decided, the Trinity had already decided we would shed our blood to resolve the issue. And what was the issue? They doubted their rest. They doubted that they were complete. They questioned what God had created. Religion says, we have the formula. It always begins with your separate, all religions, I don't care where they've come from, I don't care what you call them, 
every religion on the planet, including a lot of Christianity, by the way, begins with this. We have the formula of how you can find God and reconnect with him. And so the key words to every religion become find, seek, chase, run after God, perform, change, modify. Are you resting this morning? You've been quiet. I like that. Sometimes I just need a hallelujah, but this morning I'm just feeling rest. Hopefully that's not because you're bored. Yeah, just, just rest. Just sit in this this morning. Do you realize that God created you perfect, pleasing, Gave you everything you are supposed to be and have. And that you are complete. Yes, it fell, but he's redeemed it through Christ. Slip over. Real quick, let's read this. Because this is where we're going to spend. Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 2. This is where we're going to spend the rest of this series is in the book of Hebrews in the second, third, and fourth chapter. For verse 10, chapter 2 of Hebrews, verse 10, I don't think this is going to be on the screen, and guys, I, I wouldn't worry about it. Really need you to turn to your turn to, I'm, I'm speaking to the, the sound people. If you can't get it up, that's just fine. Don't worry about it. I'd rather have people read it right from their Bible. Verse 10, Hebrews chapter 2. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons into glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call you his brother. Skip on down. Look at verse 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who had or has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all of those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not to the angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Go over to chapter 3. Look with me at verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses was also faithful in all of God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of the house has more honor than the house itself. Verse 7, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. 
As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. I could go on, but we'll stop there and just say, we're going to take chapter 2 and 3 and 4 and just unpack that in what we've just read about his rest and why some people don't enter his rest and how it is that we can recapture that rest that we were created to enjoy. Resting doesn't mean doing nothing. It means participating in his rest, resting in the way that he rests. And one of the scriptures, I don't think we read it, it says, resting from your own works. You see, when you rest from your works, then you are resting. I'll end with this. It is impossible for faith to work outside of resting. The greatest work of faith that you and I can have in our lives is to rest in what God has already done. Let's make a new commitment in 2017. I am finished believing the lie of separation. I am finished believing the lie that somehow I am separated from God. Let me show you how real that is, how present right now it is. This morning, you entered into praise. You lifted your hands and sang or not because of how you felt in your closeness to God. If you felt really in love and close and like God wasn't holding it out and waiting for you to confess something, (laughs) praise just came real easy. But if you felt shame, if you came here this morning with guilt and heaviness, you felt ashamed of something, you probably found it more difficult to praise. And you, you know what? Neither one makes any difference because you and God, you and the Trinity are one because of what Jesus did. You are one with the Trinity. Your sin is none of the devil's business. <laughs> <laughs>